I see you've paid the electricity bill this week. <laughs> I have got all of the lights <laughs> shining on me. I can see you. <laughs> Every light in this room is on. I know you look. You're sort of like you're shining. Um, I am still. I think it's still sinking in what Sitsipas did against Nadal because we are. What are we? Two, three hours on from that match finishing. I was working on that match, and I genuinely. I would have put my house on the fact that that wasn't going five and it was ending in three. I mean, there was no chance, I thought, that that would go the distance. It looked that way, didn't it? And you could have predicted that before the match. I mean, I think we'd all like to think that Sitsipas would push him in the slam and and that he might, you know, take him to five. But then as it started, you were thinking, yeah, nah, maybe he's just not quite there yet, is he? Let's be honest, it's Nadal doing Nadal things and the forehand was really firing early on from Nadal. And then just all of a sudden, it was quite funny, actually, because, um, you know, I, I was I knew what was happening, but I just kind of started getting lots of text messages saying, wait, what? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> Is Nadal going to lose? Nadal's not going to lose. Is he going to lose? And then Nadal lost? Question mark. <laughs> just had that sort of run. So you could see that it was sort of uh, resonating, even people who were working and just keeping up with the scores and couldn't really watch it. But what an effort, hey? What an amazing, amazing feat from Tsitsipas. So how big a moment is this in terms of the of the changing of the guard? Are we going to look back at this moment and how significant is it? It's definitely a significant moment to get a win over one of the big three in a slam is absolutely huge. That does not happen very often. And then to do it after being down and Nadal playing well and his forehand fizzing, as I was saying, I think that is, uh, it's hugely impressive and hugely significant because it's so much about belief. I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, the, the young guys sort of even push them or maybe not push them and just lose that belief I mean if you think about the Zverev against Djokovic he just sort of lost a lot of the bite I was a bit disappointed with it you know in his his game I mean he had flashes of brilliance in there against Djokovic but it was just up and down and he would just sort of switch off for a bit and like you can't do that against Djokovic like you you just (laughs) can't I mean even if you were to maintain your best best possible level you'll still probably lose and even for Zverev. So it's just disappointing that it's like, oh, he just kind of keeps sort of fading in and out and you're not going to get away with that. But for Sitsipas, okay, it took him a while to sort of, to find that level and to really bring the drama. But, uh, you know, it was absolutely huge. It, it's so mental. We see these players beat the big guys in best of three sets and best of five sets. Yes, it's physical, but hey, talking about Nadal's had a dodgy knee for ages. He's in his mid thirties. You know, Djokovic, okay, is fairly fit and fresh, but he's still in his mid thirties and Federer, of course, later on, like these guys in their mid twenties, physically, they have the advantage. They absolutely do. It is, in my opinion, it is all mental. So to get a win over Nadal in a grand slam, best of five, I mean, absolutely, that will be huge for Sitsipas. And it's how calm Sitsipas stayed. He was down by two sets to love. I think everyone, in, including ourselves who are commentating on it, was saying, right, that this is pretty much done now. It'll be Nadal who goes through to face Medvedev. It's how calm he stayed. He didn't get angry. He stayed focused. He was asked about it by Jim Curry at the end, about how mentally he, he stayed where he was meant to stay. And he said it's something he's been working on. It's something he's been looking at because the, the game is there from, from Sitsapas. But it was, and for me, deep in a fifth set against Nadal, you're going to get a few wobbles. He, 54 second service game with four aces. That's what you like, isn't it? I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, to, to be that strong, meant, and yes, look, it wasn't on the first match point. There's going to be a little bit of tightening up. It's against Nadal. It's to, to get into the, 
semi-finals. You've looked at Nadal. This is he said that Nadal for him is the best one out of the big three. For him, it's Nadal. He stands above the rest. Nadal is the there's the puzzle he's been trying to solve since he lost to him. I was about to say here, but I'm in Manchester, not in Melbourne. <laughs> Since he lost to him <laughs> um, a couple of years ago in 2019, it's all been about trying to beat Nadal and trying to solve that puzzle. And he did that. It's like, it sounds really naff, sound like a mum. It's a bit like a coming of age, it felt like today. Yeah, it's, I mean, as I said, I mean, you can't understate, I think, how big of a, a deal that is. Because, you know, yeah, you know, it was it was tough physically and there's been lots of physical difficulties with everybody, I think, in this tournament. But Sitsipas was lucky because he, of course, didn't have to play the round before, so he was coming in fresh. But he was two sets down. Freshness doesn't really... OK, fine, it's helpful to get to five, but how tough is it to get to five sets when you're two sets down to Nadal? And he says he's been working on the mental side and staying calm. I don't think it is harder against anybody. Well, it's the hardest against Nadal, is what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah. It, it just... It, it, because yeah. you know what he's going to do and it is so relentless and it is so intense and everybody is just in awe of what he is able to do because they go on this emotional roller coaster at the other end and he's just kind of keeps going next point next point um and it, yeah just just absolutely phenomenal and just really good because I, I was kind of a bit worried in that fifth that it would just be another one of the, ah, pushed him close. You know, Medvedev pushed him close to the US Open. And, you know, and, and, and they do. And they have managed to rack up some wins in the best of three. And I, and I recognise that. But, of course, this is just a little bit more epic in terms of the challenge presented to them. And most of that's mental. And it's like they just, you know, they, they when they get themselves in that position where they're, they're about to do it and then they just can't quite. Um, but then, as you say, 54-second game, well, that'll make you feel pretty good, wouldn't it? And, uh, and, and he did. He managed to get over the line because that is the hardest, hardest thing. And two happy people. Firstly, Daniel Medvedev, who's back in his hotel or his accommodation, feet up. They've been on court kicking lumps out of each other for over four hours. <laughs> He's sitting there thinking, this is great, because he took like two hours and five minutes for his straight sets win over Andre Rublev. So he was a winner. And also, how about Roger Federer? Because Nadal is not moving to 21 Grand Slam titles at the end of this week. Yeah, but come on, it's kind of inevitable that Federer will get overtaken by both Nadal and Djokovic. Can you imagine, imagine teleporting back, not teleporting Time warping. I don't time, know. Go time back. Tra- <laughs> time warping. Time traveling. Time, tra- <laughs> time warping. I don't know <laughs> what that is. Oh. Oh, going dear. back in time. Um, yeah. is that- going okay. back. <laughs> if you go back, say, 10 years, <laughs> even 10 years, and you told yourself Federer will end up number three out of these three in terms of Grand Slams one. Oh my God, it's uh, it's amazing. But yeah, Nadal's going to surpass 20 and so will Djokovic. And it's, you know... Federer might be able to nick another one, but I, I don't think he's going to keep up with them. But we did a little poll. There was four of us in our commentary room as to who will end up with the most. Um, we had two Djokovic's, two Nadal's. Who I think we probably talked about this before. Who are you going for that will end up with the most? I heard that actually. Wait, what did you did you say Nadal? I said Djokovic. Uh, okay. Um, I think Nadal. Because he's just going to bank some more French Opens for a while, isn't he? So he kind of guaranteed those. <laughs> but um, I, but I think for for Federer, look, it's been confirmed today that Djokovic is going to surpass Federer's weeks at number one in March. This and is that just if Nadal, insane. if but if Nadal had gone ahead of him, that'd have been a rough month or so. 
you know, four to six weeks for Federer. <laughs> Suddenly, Nadal goes ahead in the Grand Slams and then Djokovic overtakes him in March. So this is just sort of ease. Look, all these things are going to happen, but it just kind of, you know, just ease things a little bit for Federer. <laughs> I'm sure he's made his peace with it, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think we need to worry about Rog. So, and right, so people thinking, well, how come you're not talking about Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka? It hasn't happened. That's why we're not talking about it. So it'll be, it'll be out of date very quickly. But in terms of what we do know and what we've got here, you went for Djokovic at the start of all of this, yeah. I believe, because I think we both did. I used to, because I, I'm not going to change, but if I could change, I think I'll go Medvedev yeah. right now. I, th- yeah. I, I think that a Djokovic-Medvedev final would be cracking. Oh, that'd be amazing. Mm. That would be absolutely... Because Sitspas, he's got a horrible head-to-head against Medvedev. I'm not saying he's not going to beat him, but he's he's 1-5 yeah, against... And so tough to back it up after beating Nadal. I remember an example with, with Dominic Team on the clay. It's emotionally as exhausting as it is physically. So not only have you got to get your body sorted out, but you've got to get your, your mind sorted out as well. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to be a tough ask. I think Medvedev's definitely favourite for that. Djokovic's favourite for his match. And... I, I, I'd i probably be putting that final at sort of a 50-50. I'm going to go with Djokovic because, you know, he's won before. But, I, yeah, I would say that it, would, it, it could go either way. would not be surprised if Medvedev picked up his first Grand Slam. Something that's happened so won't change, therefore won't be dated when people listen to this, is Ash Barty going out surprisingly at the quarterfinal. Uh, to Karolina Mukova, it, it's surprising because Mukova is the 25th seed and Barty's the world number one. I know she didn't play a lot. It's due to everything with the rankings. But Barty had won a title coming into this. She had looked so good. It didn't seem like the strapping on her left thigh was bothering her. But what did bother her today, after easing to a set and a break lead, was a nine-minute legal medical timeout that Mukova took because she felt in her words lost and and dizzy I mean it was so hot out there then afterwards it was like Barty completely lost her way I mean it's incredible to be that dominant have that break and then completely fall away it happens it can be so so disruptive medical timeouts why does it but but how could it be that disruptive when you're playing so well you just sat down for nine minutes I I don't understand what can happen in that time to change things so dramatically the adrenaline's gone it's gone. It only takes it probably. To, I reckon it takes four or five minutes of not doing anything, and the adrenaline's gone. And you can go out and you can serve and you can skip around and you can wrap up in the tracksuit and you can. Well, they probably she probably wouldn't have wrapped up in the tracksuit. It was fairly warm, as you said. <laughs> but you know, in in general, and you can try not to get cold. And you can keep the blood flowing, but it absolutely it snaps your concentration. If you're in the zone, it takes you out of the zone. Now. I think anybody who has really tried to do anything to any level will understand that you do have days where you just feel in the zone, but you can't sort of just find it out of nowhere. You can't go, right, I'm going to get in the zone now and then just get there. Like sometimes it, it, it can be really, really difficult. And and to to do it out there, it's it's hard. And when it's gone and then also you, your expectations have changed because you've been playing in a certain way and now you're not playing like that. It's very difficult to then go to, to kind of work back into it. It's really, really tough. It's something that a lot of players struggle with. Some players don't care. Somebody like a Karina Pliskova will sit there all day. She'll, she'll, she'll have a snooze. She'll have a chat. She'll have a look around. She, it's just not going to phase her. She's just going to get up and do whatever she does. And there are lots of players like that. But for me, it, it was the same for me. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And it's why we hear about medical timeouts. I'm not saying this for Mukova, but it's the reason that 
players are accused of using medical timeouts tactically because it really disrupts your opponent. Like it really, really does. It is, it's a, it's a very effective thing. It's something that I personally would love to see totally gone from tennis. I don't think we should. Would yeah, you? no medical timeouts. Absolutely gone. Wow. So if if someone's struggling. It could just be game over. No, no, I think you're allowed treatment, but just your your 90 seconds or two minutes or whichever way they fall at the the change events because it's different depending on TV and stuff like that. But um, I think like boxing, you've got your time in between rounds, which is for us would be the change events, and you can go to your team and you've just got a physio there. You want a bit of a rub down, you want a bit of this, you want, you know, whatever. They, They can do it. And then you, and you don't break the rhythm. You don't change anything. Because for, for me, I, I, I didn't lose every match when uh, somebody took a medical timeout because that, would, that word would get around and <laughs> I wouldn't have been any good. But Call the physio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I think, you know, I mean, the fact that it happened to Barty surprises me because I, fall into the, I fell into the category of the typical player that it would affect. A big hitter, steamrolling, just kind of crunching the ball away, hitting winners, feeling pretty good and in a bit of a purple patch. And if you disrupt that rhythm, it can really cause a big problem and then suddenly they're missing and it's not working. Um, but for a Barty, because she's so skilled, I always thought that the skilled players weren't that affected by it, to be honest. Um, because, is that because they're not running as much on the adrenaline? Yeah, they're not sort of redlining at all. They're just kind of playing. But, you know, Barty, look, she's playing at home. She's in Melbourne. She's in the quarterfinals. You know, of course, there's going to be a lot of lot more of emotional stuff. So maybe just mentally she had been able to shut all of that out. And then by having the best part of 10 minutes to sit and think maybe some of those thoughts started creeping back in that you know I I I don't know so it it is very effective but I would yeah scrap it I'd say you can have as much treatment as you want every single change events but the change events are always you know 90 seconds or two minutes the end of sets and 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 off we go and that's it so in this case you would have been like if Mukova after 90 seconds was still feeling a little bit lost a little bit dizzy it would have been done you're out well, yeah, right. she can play. You carry on playing, or or you then would lose a point because you get a warning if you're not up in time. You'd lose a lose your serve, lose a point, lose a game, and then defaulted. Right. But so, ha- so how does, in far as Ash Barty goes, how what does she therefore need to work on? Because she also, yes, she might not think, or people might not. She didn't say anything, but people might not think it's fair. And poor old Mukova, the. The people in the press conference, well, they're 90% Australian <laughs> because there aren't too many overseas journalists there. And then you have that virtual board with all the overseas journalists and lots of questions. What was wrong with you? Why did you take it? And, and she was, you know, well, I, I felt lost and I called them on and it wasn't a pre-existing condition, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously she, she played at a better level when she resumed. But for Barty, so what would her takeaways be from that? What does she need to work on? Because you can't be allowing that to happen. A set and a breakup looking comfortable. You can't allow that to disrupt you to that degree, surely. No. And, and as I say, particularly for somebody who plays in the way that, uh, that Barty does, she's got all of the capability to be able to sort of just steady the ship, figure things out. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't need necessarily the adrenaline and the blood flowing. Um, I mean, like, I don't really know what, what, what she does. I don't think that it is something I've seen before from her. It's not something I would expect to see from her again. And I, I think you probably would chalk it up as a bit of a mistake, like just a lapse in concentration. You didn't deal with those nine minutes in the way that you normally would have or that you, you should have. Maybe you fell into the trap of thinking the match was done. 
or you know whatever it is and all those things you know you can't do and it's just about being more disciplined in in those moments um so maybe she can practice them maybe she maybe she'll get a lot of practice because maybe the rest of the field will go huh i might try that <laughs> against ashbarty <laughs> and every single match she plays for the rest of 2021 there's going to be trainers called out at uh, at all sorts of times so she might get good practice at it and she might be an absolute pro by the end of the year you never know but i don't think it's any reason to to panic i think if you're an ashbarty fan it's disappointing if you're in ashbarty's team it's it's disappointing because she probably just let it slip a little bit there but you know that that's how it goes has it surprised you the amount of injuries we've seen especially upper body injuries or were you half expecting it because of everything the players were going through with the quarantine to be able to play the Australian Open? Yeah, it's it's kind of half expected I think we were talking about this um even back before US Open well before Australian Open as well in that I didn't really think that the standard was going to be any lower but it was just that physically it's going to be pretty demanding to go from two weeks of quarantine or at the US Open we're going from no matches to matches um and yeah the the injuries seem to sort of fall into the categories that you would assume you know there's no way you can practice your serve in a hotel room um and you know also with limited time on the court you're you're not you know I think you're going to be wanting to be hitting you're going to want to be live especially going to want to be exercising as well because you're trapped in a a room and when you just practice serves you're not getting the blood flowing you you're not you know sometimes it can just be a bit of a not a stale practice but it, it has a very different feel about it you very rarely you know, if you want to feel good about your game, you're just going to hit up and down the middle loads. You're going to do just drill loads across court, do some running side to side, play some points, and you're going to come off buzzing. But if you go and you serve, you know, you might be sort of like, yeah, I'm happy with my serve, but it's not really sort of lifted you in the same way. You just don't get the juices flowing. And as I say, also with people with limited time, they want to get out and exercise and sweat because it's hard to do that in in um in the hotel room. So I think people just were not serving very much. Then you got obviously the hard quarantiners who were not serving at all. So you got a lot of ab pulls or tears or, or whatever it is, because you know, that motion is, is hard. It's, it's tough going on the body. It's very, very physical. Uh, if you're, if you're serving full out and, and landing, you know, you do um, a, a full basket of serves. It's, it's it, it can be quite tiring. So yeah, I think it's sort of, expected but hopefully nothing hugely serious with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I'm missing I'm missing line judges. I'm missing the the drama that you can get with line judges. I don't mean the US Open style drama. I mean you know, an arm goes out and a player gets annoyed and then they go for the challenge and we wait and we see it and then it's overruled. And like, I felt someone like a Fabio Fanini playing Raphael. He was so flat. He's, he had no one to argue with. He had no one. It wasn't going to, it wasn't going to start arguing with Rafa Nadal. He had no real reason to argue with the chair. And do you see what I mean? I just, you felt like he needed something or someone. I, I feel, yeah, I, I'm missing 
I'm missing that side of things. Yeah, well, Fabio, he, he does quite like having an argument with his opponent. We've had some classic Fanini battles with... Yeah. Uh, well, yes, Salvatore um, well, uh, Russo. Yeah. He's, <laughs> but he's not going to have a go at Nadal, is he? Well, that's I mean, what I was going to say. Nadal's the <laughs> one person. He probably is just like about to do something and he looks at the other end. He's like... Mm, but then instead, no, he could have a go at a, at a line judge because they said foot fault or they're not happy with a call and maybe the call was wrong. But you don't get that anymore because they just know yeah. they'll be shown a close call replay which might put their mind at ease. But it's not Hawkeye's not going to change its mind. You know the call. The call is the call, and I, I'm kind of missing. No, the the um, Fanini Caruso thing was 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 fabulous, <laughs> and not. <laughs> I mean, didn't know what they were saying, but it looked get, fun. I just kept apologising. We were on air, and I'm telling you, I just kept sorry, sorry if they're swearing, sorry if they're swearing, because I'm, I'm sure they will. <laughs> they're probably swearing. <laughs> probably swearing. So I'm just going to apologise for anything that's being said. That look, he could have an argument in a paper bag. We know that, but I just, yeah, there's a little bit. I like the challenge system. I like the way, not necessarily when everyone's hand clapping to wait to see what Hawkeye shows, but the I can't believe it's wrong again, and this and that, and uh, yeah, I. I miss it. I mean, I. But it I was the same, wasn't it, when when they brought in Hawkeye first of all? So even with line judges, but just the challenge system, because people were saying, "Oh, you're never going to get a Mac and Row. You cannot be serious." The chalk blew up. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> Did you like that impression? <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. It's almost like I was there and I wasn't even alive. But I don't know. Do you feel like? just having the challenge system before took that element away as well. Because that's what people were saying, oh, it just takes away the drama. No, because we still have the drama with the challenge system because the player would probably get themselves into a bit of a spin anyway. And then we'd see the challenge and it might calm them down a bit, but we'll have, we've got a little bit of a drama because they know that it might... But now it's kind of... it's accept, and it, it sounds awful that they accept it and they should accept it. And there's me wanting drama. But they just... The call comes and they're like, okay... And every now and then, if if an umpire sees a player simmering, he play he replays it, and they're like, okay, I just, yeah, I feel it's um, it's a bit like with F one, you keep making it safer and safer and safer, which is the right thing to do. But people would say over the years that it took a little bit of the edge off it, because rightly so, they were making it very safe. Now here, it's not because they're making tennis safer they're trying to make it well I suppose at the moment it is because they're trying to make it safer with COVID and less people but they're trying to make it more smooth flow more clinical whatever it is and I just yeah I just I miss it and I also miss the arms going out because when you're commentating you look you look for arms and things Um, yeah it does help doesn't it I miss an I miss an outstretched arm can I say? <laughs> well, as you're when you're playing, you look for it as well. If you hit the ball, if you if you're going to hit, say, a forehand cross court and it hits a sideline, you know you're not 100 percent sure whether that ball's in or out. You will look in your peripheral vision to see whether the palm goes down or whether the hand goes out. Always and sometimes yeah, yeah. you you might hit a shot, or if the if say your shot has landed on my baseline, I might play it back. You'll look up at the umpire. You'll see lots of players do that, look up the umpire and see again whether the hand is is down or the finger is up because you might have not heard the call, especially with grunting and stuff. Sometimes you can miss miss the call. Um, so, yeah, though, the, I'm sure the players will be sort of uh, missing it a little bit as well. But, yeah, it's sort of about making it more accurate, isn't it? Just kind of wanting yeah. the right decisions all of the time. But, yeah, it does obviously take away a little bit of the... Now, you seem to drama. know every line judge at Wimbledon. Who are those... Who's that couple? Kath. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, were we in court one commentary box? You went, oh, there's Kath. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, and then on the next changeover, I was like, oh, there's her husband. <laughs> yes. Now, I was thinking this. If you knew a line judge, is that 
a conflict, could you have them on your match? Yes, yeah. You could. But they mm-hmm. might. But if there was something touch and go, they might just give it to you. Well, no. And I can, I, can, I can tell you a story about this. So I was playing doubles at Wimbledon with Elena Baltacher. And uh, we were... Were we doing all right? I don't know. We lost. <laughs> we probably weren't doing all right. She was probably doing all right. I was, uh, I was not, not doing so well. Um, it was always fun playing doubles with Bal. Uh, anyway, so Bally's Scottish. And... Uh, one of the lines judges that came on at the end of the set was a, a girl that we both knew. I say girl, I refer to her as a girl because I knew her as a junior. Like I used to play with her. So we we're the same age. She's Scottish. So she's younger than Bally, right. but she's my age. So I grew up with her. Um, I actually played against her in the, the final of, uh, of of nationals one year. And uh, so she she walks on the court. And I haven't seen her in years. And we're sitting there going, oh. Please say you didn't say hello. Like, you didn't wave at her, did Well, we you? kind of kept thinking, I was thinking, should we say something? And, you know, she's obviously, you know, this is a big deal for her. It was the first time she was at Wimbledon. And, you know, she's wearing you know, the, the, the Ralph Lauren suits, you know, super sharp suit. Yeah, she's yeah. looking good anyway. So I was kind of looking her direction. She was clearly trying to not make eye contact. So fair enough. <laughs> so it's absolutely fair enough. So she was on the doubles line, on the sideline. And uh, and I was thinking, oh, I tell you what, if there's a tight call, and I was saying to Bally, I was like, surely she'll give it to us anyway. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, she made a shocker of a call. <laughs> we had no Hawkeye on the outside courts because you still don't. Um, a shocker of a call, and we were at we were like, what? And I kind of was about to sort of say her name. So say it was say it was you, Gigi. I was about to sort of be like, Gigi. <laughs> How can you call that? But I thought that would be really unfair <laughs> on her. So I can tell you that it doesn't work in your favour. I think it possibly works uh, works against. That's my only experience of it. But I, I, I would just assume that that would be seen as, as a conflict. I don't know. If you know someone. Yeah, but then all of the umpires know all of the players, right? Well, yeah, but some better than others, right? They do keep us separated. You have, you're not really allowed to fraternise with the uh, officials. They have their own areas uh, at, at tournaments because you wouldn't want to be, you know, fraternising. It's quite an official, quite a strong word, isn't it? Fraternising. <laughs> an official and a player sort of in a corner having a chat would be a little bit suspect. Well, yeah, fraternising, quite a strong word. Have you, do you remember last week I asked you to give a, a pep talk for Mac doing her 5K and honestly you were rubbish. Uh, we just... <laughs> what? <do> you, <laughs> honestly, you said left foot, right foot, keep going. I mean, just... That's all you need? Hey, I tell you what, I didn't get much more coaching than that when I was a player. So <laughs> that was basically it. It was <laughs> pep, pep talks before matches. You'd be playing like some top 10 player and you just get this talk of a kind of, okay, great. Well, you know, get stuck in, enjoy it. Uh, remember on the big points, she doesn't like it in the body. Okay, see you in a bit. Is that, okay, is that because they thought you were going to lose or knew you were going to lose or because they just were a bit rubbish and had nothing to say? Uh, yeah, but tactics. I mean, whatever end you're at, you have tactics, right? <laughs> well, tactic number Surely. one is over Did and you? in. So they'd give me that one, over and in. Tactic number one. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> tactic number one. Was it? Was the tactic number two, or was that it? Sometimes. Well, it was. Wow. It was normal. It, it, it. You know, look. It, it's very difficult because there were there were lots of matches where you would have um, quite a lot of uh, of tactical input and I suppose look it probably happens before so say you know I'm playing 
when I so when I played Venus at, at Wimbledon, for example, that was first round, so I knew for a couple of days. So you discuss the tactics when you're on the practice court, yeah. And then, but the pre-match talk, often back then, I hope it's different now because I don't think it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> often uh, would have been something like, uh, "Okay, great. Remember, you've uh, you've worked really hard. Enjoy yourself. Get stuck in." And uh, right. you know, and then it would just be a, like, as I say, kind of. Oh, remember on the big points, uh, she doesn't like it high on the backhand or something like that. And then, and off you go. Wow. And that's it. Okay, and and that's it. So, well, at least we know where you get your your coaching talks from. And and I afterwards said, if I, I was paying those people, I, was... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you got enough of your money when it when it came <laughs> when it came to pep talks. And poor old Mac, I can't believe she made it around her 5K. But the reason I tell you is I don't know if you've seen this on social media, but used to be a runner, one of our loyal listeners, has put together a video of that part of our conversation. Of of you uh-huh. basically, of, over pictures of you, of that whole conversation and you saying left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. <laughs> and, and, then, <laughs> and then at the end, me saying you're fired with lots of graphic. I mean, people can find it on our on our Twitter feed. But I, I think I think he admitted he was very bored when he did that. Amazing. But that I love was, it. I, I can't believe that probably the worst thing you've ever said on any of our podcasts that lasted about 15 seconds has been immortalized in a video. <laughs> what are you talking about? It was, it was the, the it was it, it just wasn't motivating. Was it's it? just sort of I don't know. Just say how it is, don't I? Really? Yeah, no, no, you do. It's running. What more do you need to do? One foot in front of the other. Keep going. Yeah, but you need a kind of come on. You can do it. You're good. You've got this. You've all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I can get up with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> See, hire me next time, not her. Right. Um, something I want to talk about is is scheduling and weirdly this affects this affects both us and tennis players to a point because if we're looking at the tennis schedule a lot's being said now about what happens from here from Novak Djokovic recently said he believes in sort of there should be big bubbles so you go somewhere there's a big bubble and there's quite a few tournaments a little bit like there were in Melbourne and WTA did an amazing job with the tournaments before and after so he thinks well let's do bubbles he said because if people have to quarantine like this again a lot of them are going to stay away now no one's saying no country's saying that they would have to go through what they did in australia but there are different rules in different places for instance currently singapore the reason i think nearly everyone from the top 100 is pulled out is because they found out and i learned this from dom inglot because i was asking about his schedule and he said well i was going to go to singapore he said, but we found out if we test positive for COVID while we're there, we get taken to a government state facility and quarantined for, I think, 22 days, 21, 22 days. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go either. So, so would you? No, absolutely not. But so everyone pulled out. And then Dom was saying another option for himself and his partner, Luke Bambridge, was to fly 45 hours to South America for a tournament. Ah. So you've got risk getting COVID and being locked up for three weeks 45 hours to south america they'd missed a deadline for a tournament in france when at the time they were saying you had to isolate for a week and then there was an exemption and and you don't i think it was the montpellier then you don't have to now and he was saying it's it's absolutely and i think today i just saw that marrakesh has been cancelled miami has said it's still going ahead at this point there'll be reduced crowds but obviously miami it's harder to get in because it's a it's a masters 1000 tournament it's it's and, and the same for us. If we're working on a tournament, 
if it's cancelled, that's a loss of work. Because we talk about individual contractors, which we are. If we get COVID, then we also can't work. And it's a, it, it's really tough, isn't it? If you're a tennis player right now, trying to play, unless you're at the very top and you can think, right, well, I can take a month off now, then I'll come in for Miami and then I'll, I'll move to Europe. It's very difficult to make any kind of plans. Yeah, it's really, really tough. I mean, scheduling at the best of times is really, really challenging. <laughs> so to add in this factor, it's it's going to be, it's going to take a lot of thinking. So I hope that um, the tour, I'm sure they will be, that the tours will be pretty lenient with players and what they can and can't play. Because, you know, of course, we normally have mandatory events and, you know, playing a certain amount. And I think everybody's got to make the decisions individually. And I don't think you can really hold it against anyone for deciding not to not to go to, to certain tournaments. So, I mean, look, all of the tournaments are just going to do what they can, but it's like we've said from the start, right, this is bigger than tennis. And it's the same down in Australia. I mean, it was a bit worrying when we kind of got those reports of um, positive cases in Victoria and Australia and that there was going to be a, a snap lockdown. How would that affect the tournament? And very, very lucky that the tournament was able to continue on because you could totally understand if they had said, no, like, you've got to stop now, you know, wrap it up. That's That's about it. You can you can all have a little bit of the, the trophy, <laughs> uh, and that's and that's all they can do. So it's going to be very very difficult for players. They just going to have to try and work. And also the rules going to be ever changing. Yeah, it's changing in yeah, every country true. all the time. So yeah, I don't I don't envy them. It's going to be a challenge. And, and for some of the players, talking to Naomi Brody, and she's over in South Africa, and there were back-to-back tournaments out there, and her brother's out there as well. And and I'm kind of saying, you know, you know, is it worth it? Because obviously South Africa is a, a country like we are at the moment, where infections are high, and a lot of people, you know, don't go there at the moment. COVID's high. And I was asking Dom, you know, is it worth it trying to figure this thing out? And they're both like, yes, because they need the points. Because at the very top, we know till March rankings stay as they are. But, you know, Dom's like, I'm in a position when I can't not play because he's looking for points to get his ranking up and people are trying to to make money. And you might fly all this way to get to the final of a tournament to end up with a couple of hundred dollars. I think Naomi was paying like $140 a night or something for her accommodation. And I think the prize money for doubles was only 300 to be shared between the two it's you know it's it's really difficult at the moment but people are having to to play to to earn money to get the points the ranking system it's due to go back to normal in time for Miami in March do you think that should be extended or do you think it's right that we we go back to some kind of normality I know this is a really really rubbish answer but I just don't know I I don't I think when it comes to to rankings so many small factors can really, really impact the rankings. We've talked a little bit about the distribution, the differences between men's and women's in terms of points and how that impacts uh, the, the way that people move in the rankings. So I think it's it's absolutely the decision for the people who sit down, work out the numbers. They will go through every scenario and they will work out what that means for the rankings and which one works the best. And I, I, can't, I can't really comment because... It, it it's it's going to be unfair on someone isn't it because for there are some players who are you know haven't have barely played so the australians the the ones that live in australia have barely played through or didn't play through almost all of 2020 um and there are others that played loads you know somebody like a dominic team played all the time through through 2020 like it's going to be unfair on on somebody how it works out um you just hopefully they just don't get penalized 
you know, for because, you know, with mandatory, so Miami is a mandatory event, for example. That means that if you don't play, for whatever reason, if you're injured, it doesn't matter what the reason is, it could be totally legitimate. In a normal year, if you don't play, uh, you will get a mandatory zero. So the points that you score from Miami have to count towards your ranking. And you are you, your ranking is comprised of your top 16 events if you're a woman and top 18 events if you're a man. And so Miami has to be one of them. So you either go and pick up as many points as you can or you don't go and you take a zero and one of those spots will be a zero. So even if your 17th best tournament as a woman is you know scores you 100 points you can't have those 100 points because Miami has to be there as a zero so I would hope and and do you know what they might have already announced it it might have been something that I missed because it seems obvious to sort of take the mandatory element away and say look you don't have to come because they only do that to to really to give the tournament the status to say you've all got to turn up here like this is this is that big that you cannot just pass on it and think you're going to get away with it like sure you know sometimes serena or serena passed on indian wells for a long time it was a mandatory event and the uh you know it's it's the same for the for the men and women so the point is is to secure the field because that means they can invest more in the money and you can get these huge events like indian wells miami it makes total sense i think it's absolutely fine in a normal year but you would you would think that they would take that away for this. And, and as I say, they might have already done that and I've just missed it. What about bubble life then? Because Djokovic is saying, you know, let's stick the big tournament with a couple of smaller ones around it, like in Melbourne. But then what you would see then, I imagine, is a lot of the smaller tournaments suffering because they would disappear and everyone would go to these tournaments within the bubble. May I don't know, you stick Madrid and Rome at Roland Garros or at least you stick Rome at Roland Garros or you put some other smaller tournaments around it is that possible the way forward do you believe in the near future or is not is that not the right answer you kind of imagine so around the slams it's just sort of makes sense they've got the facilities to do it like like we've yeah, seen with yeah. australian open i mean how many tournaments do they have happening at the same time <laughs> it's just <That's> brilliant <laughs> and it was brilliant it's just it's just amazing i mean the place must have been like a zoo but well we saw that uh the order of play i mean that was uh absolutely (laughs) crazy crazy. (laughs) but you know that that can be done i mean the cincinnati in new york worked absolutely perfectly well it seems like around the grand slams you could probably have a couple of weeks of lead-up events that people would essentially be there for a month four or five weeks if they had to quarantine before starting and they could get that that chunk and that would be that would be nice i mean it would mean completely rejigging the schedule not necessarily the slams but in terms of what's capable, you're going to have a big issue when it comes to the grass, though, because the grass wears out. So you can't do two weeks worth of events before Wimbledon uh, at Wimbledon. You you know, even if you wanted to say, well, let's do two events at Queen's Club, you can't because the grass is done <laughs> by the end of it. There's yeah, there's no doing true. that. So that might be a bit more challenging. Um, but yeah, I think around the slams, because if you had sort of four uh, blocks through the years, similar to how you had in Australia, where you've kind of got maybe uh, two lead, two lead-up events plus the slam. So you kind of got a month. That's four individual months of play, but you can't do it at Wimbledon. So I don't know how they'd find a way around it. Maybe you could bubble up like uh, I don't know something else. Um, I don't know. Maybe you, Madrid could be played in Rome, and you can have two weeks in Rome or something like that. I think it would only only work with the very very top tournaments. It's tough, isn't it? I mean, this this is difficulty facing the tournaments, the organisers, the organisations at the moment, and you've got a bunch of players who are about to spread out 
from Melbourne. <laughs> they're about to spread out. A number of them can't go home because if they go to where their home is, there's quarantine, so they've got to go somewhere else. And they, they always have to be thinking about the next step. It's, uh, it's, it's very, very difficult. Someone who is going to want to forget Melbourne 2021 is Sophia Kennan, who had her appendix out on Monday. Yeah, and you know what? I was reading that post today that she she was saying that's what's happened, yeah, uh, which is horrible. I'm sure she was in a, a lot of pain, and glad she got that sorted. But when she was started talking about, oh, I had pain in my stomach, I thought, oh god, another ab injury. <laughs> I just thought it was another <laughs> yeah, list. I yeah. thought she was going to say, oh, I've torn my adduct my um, ab, and I, I, I was yeah, thought she was going to be like that. And then she said, oh, I was appendicitis. I thought, oh, okay, right, well, I'm glad she got that sorted. How yeah, not nice. It's absolutely no, not- horrendous. Not nice at all. But you know what? I think her good memories in Melbourne sort of balance it out. So I feel like <laughs> she's she's got some good memories there and less less good. I didn't get any messages from you over the last week about what have I been up to. No. <laughs> <'Cause>, no. <laughs> I'm kind of well, because I've been I've been listening to you, I feel like we've spoken every day because when I you know what it's like? I, I'm listening to you on the radio. So I feel like we've we're chatting all the time and then I realise we're not chatting. <laughs> We well, haven't chatted every day. That sometimes you would you would sort of join in a conversation we were having on air. Yeah. And I'd looked I'd look down at my phone because obviously I'm focusing on my guests. I'd look down and you'd go, I agree. And I'm thinking, what do you agree with? Like, <laughs> I guess it might be about ten minutes later. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I suddenly think, what are you talking about? You agree? What are we? <laughs> there is quite funny because it would be a conversation, and I would just like sort of give my opinion on it. And then 20 minutes later, something else is happening. I give another opinion. And then you, but you don't look at your phone until, like, say, the end of the set or something. Because you, yeah. you, sometimes you do set on, set off. professional. I'm focusing. <laughs> That's totally fair enough. Can't be answering your messages. <laughs> but, yeah, no. So I just, just, just let you know that I'm there and I'm listening. I've been enjoying did, it a lot. I've been missing it. Did you hear our conversation about the sex lives of mice? That was interesting. No, I, I, oh, I might have missed that because I heard, was that today? No, that was... Yesterday? I heard I a conversation was, about was, mouse. A mouse. About mouse or mice? A mouse. A mouse. Or a mouse. mice. <laughs> a <mic>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, uh, it came via Law Robson, who with the BBC, sometimes you go and do little bits for other parts of the BBC. And I think she went to Radio 4 or something. And she was, she was waiting to go on. And the story before her was something about a study about pheromones in mice and, and how sexual mice are. And she came back a little bit traumatised, if I'm honest. <laughs> when, when she rejoined us and I threw her a very straightforward one about the match we were watching, she just seemed, seemed a little bit traumatised. So um, no, it's, 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 it's been good fun. I'm getting used to the three o'clock alarm calls, finally, just as I'm about to readjust to not three o'clock in the morning alarm calls but uh yeah it's uh I, oh and i ran for the first time without a hat and gloves i know it suddenly got a lot warmer i was not prepared for it and ended up sweating so you are you still couch have you not got to 5k how long does it take you to get to 5k you're not there yet. a couple more weeks left well, i Leave feel like I feel, I feel like we've been i'm gonna give you a pep talk i feel like we've been doing this for a long time now it is a long and program feel, it's nine weeks long i feel you should be there by now if i'm honest well okay well do you know what i'll go now and I'll, I'll I'll go and run. Not 5K because I've got another two weeks left. Another two weeks and then you're going to complete it. So what happens after That's the it. two weeks? You just stop? Or well, then, you you run the fi- then you run the 5K and then you're done. You've well, done then what 5K. do you do after that? Whatever you want. What is it, do they have a 10K one? Or a I don't know. I, I heard a rumor that they do. I'll have one. to look into it. Because okay. if they do, I'll be doing it. So you've got two more weeks. And then I'm done. Two more weeks and then you're done. Okay. Yeah. I thought you'd be done by now. Right. So you're off to do a 5K. 
And next yes. week, for people wondering, you haven't talked about Saka, Williams, Karatsev. It's because we're saving it for next week. When we're going to do a bumper, oh, yes. we're going to do a bumper pod next week. So we'd love to hear from people listening. If there's something about these two weeks, a person or something you would like us to talk about, then let us know via Twitter or I was about to say Facebook. I don't even think we're on Facebook or our website or Instagram. And we'll do a bumper kind of look back once everything is done. We will look back on, on everything that's gone on. Can't wait. It's going to be so good. I can't wait to talk about Karatsev and all sorts. Osaka, oh, it's going to be And homeschooling is going to be back on the agenda because it's back on my agenda for at least another couple of weeks. Ooh, oh, so much to get stuck into. So much. Right, enjoy enjoy your run. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's my pep talk. Do, you can do it. Come on, Cavaday. Do it. There you go. There you go. All there right. Go. See, all right. motivational. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> 